Hello and welcome to Sustainable in the City, a podcast that tells inspiring stories of everyday city dwellers on a journey to a more sustainable life. I'm your host and novice sustainableite, Brooke. Welcome back, guys. It's been so long since I've talked to you. Um, If you missed the end of last season or are just joining me for the first time ever, then you will miss that I had a baby. He's about two months old now, so we're getting in the swing of things and we're all doing great. Little Hayden is awesome. Um, I might be a little bit biased, but he's probably the best baby ever. (laughs) We're trying to be, you know, sustainable and we've done a bunch of secondhand items and um, we're trying a lot of wood toys and to minimize how much stuff we have for a baby. Uh, we are doing some other things that probably aren't so sustainable because we couldn't we couldn't do the cloth diapers. Uh, it just wasn't a family decision for us and we are doing bottle feeding and all that kind of good stuff. So there are still things, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm an honest person. So we're going to be honest along our journey. But that's the point of this podcast, right? Every little thing helps every step counts. So we are making some steps to sustainability and I hope that as he gets older that will even grow more. But I'm super excited to be back and I thought it was appropriate to launch the second season of the podcast uh, going into the fall season with a back to school episode. So today we are going to be talking to the Green Mum, M-U-M. She is based in Toronto, Canada, and we are going to be talking about how to have a sustainable back-to-school journey. This episode is appropriate for any parents out there uh, or any aunts, uncles, grandparents that help do the back-to-school thing, and also teachers. So the cool thing about Mira is that she is not only a mom herself, but she also is a teacher. So she has a really good experience, a really good perspective. The cool thing about Mira is that she is not only a mom, but she's also a teacher. So she has a really good perspective on both sides of the back-to-school process and how to be sustainable throughout the year, too. This isn't just starting on day one. Um, If you have any other great tips, I would love for you to reach out to me because I think that this is something that it affects a lot of people and I'd love to do a little mini series on Instagram even with it. So feel free to reach out. But for now, we are going to go ahead and jump into our conversation today and hope you get a lot out of it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mira, for joining me today. Um, I'm excited to talk about all things back to school. I feel like I see it everywhere on the internet, but especially on my Facebook right now. Um, So I can't wait to talk more today. Can we start with you maybe introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about you? Yes, absolutely. So my name's Mira Jane, and I am an elementary school teacher uh, turned Instagram eco blogger. Uh, so my handle on Instagram is at the green mum, like M-U-M. And uh, yeah, I just kind of got 
been into sustainability, low waste living, low carbon footprint for about a year and a half now, and just love to talk about my experiences with other people. That's great. And you do live in Canada, is that correct? That's right. Yeah, I live in Toronto, Canada. Cool. Yeah. And I think that it'll be interesting too, to see what's different in Canada versus America, as far as even from a school perspective, like what's needed and <laughs> all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's true. And also I think you guys start your school year a little bit earlier than we do. Okay. Do you guys go back in September or? Yeah. September 3rd is our first day of school. Oh, nice. Yeah. Actually, when I was little, um, I went back to school around September and then I think that they changed it as like times have changed. A lot of kids go back now early. So I don't, I don't know what they're doing to that summer break, but (laughs) (laughs) it's too much fun. I know. So I actually grew up in Arizona also, which in the summer you're like, can I go back to school? Cause it's 4,000 degrees outside. (laughs) That's true. That's like, that's like how we feel about winter. (laughs) The opposite, I guess. It makes a lot of sense. Okay, cool. Well, (laughs) let's go ahead and, uh, start talking. So, um, I think in America, I'm not sure about Canada, but usually I see a lot of lists. And I remember having one when we would run to Target or something like that and have a list of like all this crazy stuff that you needed for school. And I feel like there's so much pressure on parents. Um, And I remember when I was a kid, like every single year I needed a new backpack, whether I actually needed one or not, like that's just what you did. So I'd love to talk about like some ideas and things that you've seen or ways to cut down on the the stuff and, or make it more sustainable? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I guess firstly, if like, I have a daughter who's going into her second year of kindergarten in Canada, we do two years of kindergarten and, um, we didn't get any kind of list. I think we're kind of shying away from that and kind of more expecting schools to provide what you need and just have your kid dressed and, uh, with a lunch. But, Uh, If I was to get a list, the first thing I would do is I would look around my own house. So that's a big kind of part of sustainability is use what you have. So, you know, for example, had my child been asked to bring in markers, I would not need to go out and buy any new ones. I have tons of markers around my house and I would just send what we have kind of thing. So I would, yeah, definitely start by encouraging you to look at the list that you have and see, okay, what do we have from our house that we can kind of fulfill this list with and, and bring everything in? And then um, you mentioned the new backpack every year. I was the exact same. Um, but that's totally not necessary. Um, we bought our, our my daughter a, a really nice backpack made out of linen, which is awesome because it can go on the wash and hopefully doesn't have too many plastic fibers in it. Um, and it's perfectly good. She used it all year. She's been using it all summer for camp and she'll be using it all year next year as well. So kind of taking a look at our practices and reevaluating them to say, well, am I just doing this because a uh, local ad space is telling me that I need to buy a new backpack because it's on sale or do I actually need to go and buy new things? Um, secondly, I would talk, I would think about buying secondhand. Uh, we buy all of our kids clothes and to be honest, my clothes and my husband's clothes secondhand when we can. Um, so if you, you know, my child is a year older, so she's a year taller So she will need a kind of a new wardrobe for the summer or the late summer, winter months, but I'll be getting all of that secondhand because kids wear things so for so little time, they're constantly growing. The quality of what you have out there is amazing and you get it at a fraction of the price. 
Yeah, I think that that's really cool. And something that I've learned a lot in the sustainability journey that I've just been on is like a lot of times you actually save money as well as like being better for the environment. So it's kind of a a win-win in that aspect. (laughs) Right. Um, So I've got a shameless plug for myself, but I actually wrote a list of 51 ways that I'm saving money being eco-friendly. And uh, you can get that on my website at www.thegreenmum.net. But um, it's really popular and it's amazing because it was so easy for me to sit down and write a list of the numerous ways that we're saving money. And definitely buying secondhand is a a really great one. Yeah, that's awesome. I'll have to even look that up because I'm curious. I know that I have a few myself, but I I don't know if I could do 51 yet. So that's a good challenge. So one of the things that I was thinking, especially with the backpack thing, was because, you know, I think there's there's a lot of social pressure on kids, right? Fair or not, it exists. And I, I think that for me, like all the cool kids had new backpacks every year. So um, I was wondering even if there were backpacks out there that you could like decorate differently every year, like add a different patch or like do something to make it feel exciting without having to like get a totally new thing I don't know if you've done anything like that or seen oh, anything I, but... I love that idea how creative I'm sure if we went on Pinterest we would find something that's true that's a good idea I haven't even <laughs> I don't have a back to school kid yet but I'm sure eventually we'll get there <laughs> you, know, time. You, got, you got a lot of times yeah <laughs> um, so but another point to bring up that I that I didn't mention before is that if you are going to buy something new um I would consider trying to find either a local company that you can support, which can be kind of tricky with random items like a backpack. I don't know. But if not, look up um, a sustainable company that you can support. That's why we chose the backpack we did for my daughter, because um, it was made with linen and not with plastic. And it was really sturdy and reusable. And it was for for us, it's important, but it's a Canadian company, I believe. So um, I just looked up sustainable backpacks on Google and I got a whole bunch of websites and America has a lot better selection than Canada does. So there's something out there for you for sure. Yeah, no, that's a good point too. Um, I didn't even think about that. And one thing that I think is interesting too, is a lot of like actual office supply stores are kind of closing out here. So even buying like notebook paper and things that are like basic, uh, I think is is harder now. Like you have to go to Target, but I do think that there are recycled options. I haven't really looked into them too much, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a recycled paper out there that you could even get. But oh yeah, yeah, there's tons of stuff like that, and that's another great point. Is when it comes to office supplies, um, number one, if you can avoid plastic as much as possible, that would be awesome. Um, but things like let's say you have to go out and buy pencils, if you can buy um, forest, what's it called? Forest Sustainable Forest Certified Pencils. The acronym is FSC. Um, And it just shows that the wood from those pencils, and you can buy paper under that same acronym, the wood and the paper from those pencils and and paper, sorry, are coming from sustainably forested wood. So it just means that like um, this wood has been specifically grown for this purpose and we're not, you know, harvesting forests that we need. So just kind of having that green mentality whenever you're buying anything um, or going thinking about buying something um, really helps. Yeah, no, I think that that's a good point. I didn't even, I mean, I knew that you could do that with paper and stuff, but I never even thought about pencils. <laughs> so that that's awesome. Yeah, it sounds silly because, you know, 
one pencil, what's that, what's that going to do? But, you know, as they say with straws, if ever 7 billion people said, what is just one pencil, that's like a several, several forests. For sure. And one thing that I think uh, you did bring up was a lunch. So even from a um, lunch perspective, what are some ways that you can pack a kid's lunch, but make that a little bit more of a sustainable practice versus just a standard like sandwich in a little bag and a lunch pail? Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm trying not, I'll try not to talk about this topic for too long. I did a half an hour presentation on this last year, so I'm very passionate about it. (laughs) I think the first thing to keep in mind is that um, the average person creates most of their waste with regards to food packaging. So that's the first thing we have to keep in mind. So um, in our house, we don't buy any packaged foods. Maybe sometimes we buy goldfish crackers, but other than that, we don't buy any like those little bear paws or little mini packages of Oreos or anything. So what the way we do it is we have, um, so my daughter has a lunchbox and I have a bunch of stainless steel um, containers and, um, a a thermos. And then a few of these little kind of stackable, um, containers that twist together. And that's what I pack her snack in. And it's really, really easy to create a sustainable lunch. So, you know, whether if it's a sandwich, then I just put it in the stainless steel container. I pack a vegetable, which I buy plastic free without, um, any packaging and I buy it in reusable produce bags. I put in a a piece or two of fruit, usually two pieces of fruit. Again, those are purchased plastic free. And then I put in a snack, which is kind of more like a treat. So, so yeah, sometimes it's goldfish crackers and those come in, in a, in a large package that I apportion out in smaller, smaller bits. But, um, I also go to my local bulk store that allows me to bring my own containers and I'll fill that up with pretzels or little mini chocolate chip cookies or, um, you know, whatever her flavor of the week is. And that's I pack a package free lunch. It's really, really easy. It doesn't take that much effort, more effort than I'm already doing. Um, and I feel great about what I f- send with her to school every day because I feel like she's eating healthily. Um, and then at my daughter's school and at, at the school that I work at, actually, we have a boomerang lunch program, which means that all the waste that's created has to go back home. So none of it stays at school. And one of the reasons for that is to allow the waste to be properly sorted. But another reason for that is that, you know, parents can see what your kids are eating. They can also see what their kids are not eating and the amount of waste that's being created. So it kind of just encourages parents and kids to create a little bit of less waste in their lunch. And I love that program because then when, you know, let's say I send an apple with my daughter, she brings back her core and I can compost it at home as opposed to it going in the garbage at school. So if you, even if you don't have that kind of program um, at your child's school, you can always ask them to bring home all their scraps. You can give them an extra container to bring them all home in uh, and then take care of them in a responsible way in your own house. Yeah, I think that that's, that's awesome because too, also like if my kid isn't eating something and I keep sending it with them, like I'm also wasting money and the food. So it's good to kind of get that. So yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't know enough about schools if there are things like that here, but to your point, like it, it's a cool practice just in your own family. I think that that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. You know, my daughter's going to camp right now and they get a pizza lunch every Wednesday. So I tell her, bring home everything you don't eat. And I guess they give it to her on a paper plate. So I'm like, bring that home too. I'll compost. <laughs> yeah, I have a garden, like a tiny little garden in my house. So we do compost out here. So I'm, I'm totally on board with adding more stuff to my compost. <laughs> Oh, that's great. So, um, and I think, so that's great stuff for like, you know, as, 
as you're going back to school and thinking about clothes and all the supplies that you need. But what about a teacher? So out here specifically, I know that a lot of teachers, they decorate their classrooms to specific themes or all sorts of stuff, but they also do buy some basic supplies and books and stuff like that for their room. So what are some ways that we can be sustainable as a teacher? What are some ways that you do that? So that's a great question. So, okay, let's start with decorating my classroom. So um, what I do is um, I would use like a brown craft paper to back up all my walls because um, like that requires at least kind of like it can be recycled paper and we don't have to dye it or anything like that. Um, and then I keep that up year after year. Like a lot of teachers, I think, think that they need to restart. It's a new year. It feels nice to have a new fresh start, but, um, why? Like if the paper is perfectly fine, that doesn't need to be redone. That's actually not, um, encouraged right now. So, um, that's one thing I do. And then I like to decorate my classroom with kids work. So that's going to be created no matter what. So my classroom actually looks quite bare at the beginning of the year, but it takes about two weeks of school before I've got all kinds of stuff up there that the kids have created. It's a lot more meaningful for the kids. Um, and, it just, um, again, reduces waste in that way. Like I'm not going out and buying anything. And that's also a great way to save money, right? And then the same kind of advice in terms of supplies, like if you can buy uh, recycled paper and FSC certified pencils, et cetera. Um, and then Crayola has this incredible program where um, they allow you to recycle all felt tip markers for free. So I would just kind of keep that in mind you know what I do in my classroom is I keep this little bucket. So when a crayon is dried out, they know that the kids know that they have to put it in this bucket. And once the bucket's full, then I, you know, take a box and I ship it off to Crayola for free. I mean, I think I have to, no, I, I even print out the the shipping label and everything for free. So, and they recycle them and they turn them into fuel and they reuse them, uh, they reuse the plastic to make markers again. So um, just kind of finding little hacks like that. Um, and then now this is a little bit of a, kind of a case by case situation, but my school right now is quite paperless. So we're very, very fortunate that we have a lot of technology in our class. So um, I don't have to use a lot of paper, which is awesome. Um, I, you know, we have iPads and we have computers, like little laptops for the kids. So we do a lot of work online, which I know some teachers don't feel so great about, but in terms of an environmental impact, it's fantastic. You know, I think art is a big, um, problem when you're teaching art lessons, especially if you're trying to kind of create a space where kids can be creative and you just want to provide them with a bunch of materials. But just um, keeping in mind some of the kind of the bad, um, I guess, the, the enemies out there. Glitter, for example, is actually just a bunch of little pieces of plastic. So they're really, really bad for our environment. So there's actually something called biodegradable glitter available out there. So to look into that. Um, straws, obviously, I think we all know by now that straws are causing a big problem in our oceans and in our landfills. So um, maybe opting for paper straws. And it's just about kind of seeing what you want to do and finding the sustainable options behind it a lot of the time. Yeah. And I think too, um, I don't know if these are everywhere, but I did hear about in a state out here in America, there, in the state of Texas, there's like a store that's like a recycled um, arts and crafts store. So people can actually bring their old arts and crafts supplies and like donate them or I don't know if they sell them actually. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So teachers and stuff can actually go and buy them and use that too. 
Yeah. And we have, and, and to that point, like things like uh, garage sales and rummage sales, those are great places to get. Um, and even mm. secondhand stores, those are great places to get um, kind of supplies without feeling the guilt of, you know, because they're going to go in the garbage anyways, or they're secondhand, right? Someone needs to give them another life. So that's a great way to find some supplies. And, and don't forget your creativity because, um, you know, another man's junk is another person's treasure. And I think a teacher understands that out of anyone. Um, the things I've used to make art and crafts are quite incredible because kids are so creative. You know, sometimes you can just throw things in a box. Uh, I used to call it my maker space and the kids during free time, they'd go and build things. And I'm like, wow, I didn't know you could use a milk carton like that. So just keeping that kind of stuff in mind. Oh, that's another point. Sorry, I'm being very long-winded, but recyclables. Get your kids to bring in recyclables, uh, your own recyclables. They will make stuff out of it. I think that's such a good point. We were actually, um, I was just talking to someone about like toys and how much like people just have so many toys for kids and stuff. But I remember when my nephew was a toddler and we would buy him Christmas present and his favorite thing ever were the bows and the boxes that the gifts came in. Like, And they just loved playing with that and being creative and so I think we try so hard to do all this cool stuff and they just they want to use their imagination so I think that's a great point yeah and then I guess to that point as a teacher and even as a parent trying to have some more open-ended activities I guess I'm really speaking from an elementary school perspective because that's what I teach but well right yeah (laughs) trying to have like open-ended um activities for the kids um and reaching out to parents depending on the community that you live in but how many kids have boxes of Lego at home that they don't use? I put out a, a call to my parents one year and I got a whole bin of Lego that I that is still in my classroom to this day. And the kids love playing with it. So just, you know, tapping those resources that maybe we don't always consider. Yeah, I think that's a smart idea because I'm really curious how many people like donate their old toys. But if they ever think about donating them to that teacher or something. So that that's a yeah, that's a cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you donate them to a class, you know, they're going to a good place. And um, the kindergarten teachers in my class this year sent out a a note to everyone saying all the things they could use. And essentially it was everything from loose buttons to random pieces of yarn. Kindergarten classes, I mean, obviously ask the the teachers before you bring them in, but they need so many things to be hands-on that they'll take almost any donation they can get. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Do you do books very much? Like a lot of like secondhand books and stuff. We have a bunch of those stores in the U S secondhand bookstores. So yes, that's a great point. Yeah. Books are always nice to get secondhand or borrow from the library. I mean, our libraries are so extensive you can, and now they're all online as well. You can download almost any book online. It seems kind of almost silly to go and buy a book for your class, you know? Yeah, no, I, I would agree. And I think even like, um, as I got older too, and I had to do summer reading or stuff like that, like I, I think nowadays I would totally try to get that book from the library or digitally or something. Like, I, I don't know why someone would buy that sort of thing. (laughs) I think textbooks are a little harder. We, we still have a lot of, um, printed textbooks and you can't really get old ones of those, especially as you go forward in school because the editions change. Exactly. Which I'll track that one year I bought the old edition in a secondhand (laughs) school and found out that it was like basically unusable. So I get that. You know, I, I purchased a couple of, um, environmental related texts because I knew I'd want to kind of notate them and highlight and stuff. So I get that. I do think though, and I remember even when I was going through um, university that 
they were talking about doing more digital textbooks, which I really hope that we go there because it makes no sense to keep buying new printed books every year. That's true. And it's cheaper for everyone, right? It's cheaper for us to buy online, but it's cheaper to produce as well. And Yeah, no, exactly. Hopefully we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. We're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. So what else kind of happens throughout the year? So obviously you buy all the stuff, you're ready for your first day, you got your brand new or your secondhand new to you outfit. Thank you, Thank you very much. <laughs> um, and then besides lunches, that's kind of a constant, but what else is kind of anything else from a ongoing perspective that you, that we should be thinking about? Okay. Oh, here's a good one. So I think in this day and age, when kids lose stuff, we're so quick to say, oh, okay, that's lost. Let's go out and get you a new one. But not everyone has uh, the advantage of having this time, but if you can go into your child's school and look through the lost and found or talk to the teacher, that makes a big difference because from a from a personal perspective, the amount of things that we have in lost and found at the end of the year is staggering. And these are like good quality things that, you know, water bottles that have hardly been used, beautiful sweaters and running shoes and sports equipment and stuff. So just valuing A, the money that you spent on something and B, the environmental resources used to, to create it. Um, and kind of, you know, following up, did you find your sweater? Can I come into school and find your sweater? That kind of thing is important. Um, and then thinking about, you know, um, around the holiday time, we get our teacher's gifts. Around the end of the year, we get our teacher's gifts. So something that, you know, to consider about in that respect is um, maybe not buying your teacher things. Uh, I am such a fortunate human being. I don't need a thing. I don't need you to buy me anything you want to make me a homemade card, if you want to bake me some vegan treats, <laughs> uh, I would be totally into that. Uh, if you wanted to treat me to a massage or an experience, I would love that. But I don't need a mug. I don't need another bottle of cream. Um, maybe a bottle of wine you can get me. <laughs> um, just, you know, it's so generous and it sounds almost um, kind of childish to say, don't get me anything. But I just mean that most of us as human beings are so lucky that we have everything we need. You know, we don't really need a gift. We need the gift of time or we need the gift of thought. So thinking about how you can do that uh, for your teacher is fantastic. No, I think that that's smart. And I think one of the things that you actually said is interesting. So like making you vegan cookies, for example, I think is very like personal to you. And so I think one of the things is learning a little bit about your teacher. So I have a friend that's a teacher that loves traveling. That's like her life. She's also vegetarian, but she also loves traveling. So is there even something from an experience standpoint or something that you could get her that's travel related or yeah, whatever? Yeah, exactly. So. Like maybe, maybe a journal printed on sustainable paper right. or maybe even, I don't know if this sounds too crass for people, but even an e-transfer, I was going to say a Visa gift card, but gift cards are made of plastic and are non-recyclable. However, a lot of them are refillable. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Um, but yeah, exactly. And, and how much would that mean to that teacher friend of yours, right? If they gave them a journal or, right. um, I don't know, some kind of experience that would be valued. That's so important. Or even globe cookies or something, you know, just like cute, but like, it's you. Yeah, 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 exactly. Or even a card, just, you know, maybe a little, little poem about travel or I don't know, anything. 
we don't need anything. We're so lucky. <laughs> and now that I should say that teachers are paid a lot better in Canada than they are in America. Very so. true. And I honestly, I don't know if it's weird, but like even getting your teacher some supplies for next year or something could be a gift if you, because we, yep. they do have to buy a lot of stuff themselves. So yeah. Yeah. And, and it never hurts to ask because, you know, if we want stuff, then uh, we have to be willing to kind of say it. Um, and then sometimes what happens at my school is the parents go in together and kind of create a, a class gift as opposed to like a little bracelet here and a little mug here and a little um, shampoo here. You get like a nice thoughtful gift um, that is a little bit more valuable and therefore a little bit less likely to be thrown in the trash or donated the next time the people come around kind of thing. Yeah, that's a smart idea because to your point like getting a massage or something like people could come together and I'll do that for you so that yeah that's a good idea yeah yeah exactly I'm not expecting a massage from every student I have <laughs> I mean you'd have one for like the whole year so that's nice but <laughs> um yeah every week. Just oh well I gotta use up my gift certificates so. um oh and Starbucks and Indigo are now do you guys have Indigo uh what is that I don't know by name but I might know if you explain what it is. <laughs> it's a bookstore. Maybe, it's maybe similar to Kohl's. Okay, we have a Kohl's. I don't know if we have a um, Indigo. I think Kohl's and Indigo are related anyways, but Starbucks and um, let's say Kohl's for now, um, allow you to email your gift cards now. So you don't even have to buy a gift card. You can just, that's what I did for my daughter's teacher this year. I emailed her a gift card for Indigo and she said it was so thoughtful and everything happened electronically. So I didn't have to create any waste that way. Yeah. And Target, um, we, I don't, do you guys have Targets? I think that's everywhere. We used to, unfortunately it left oh, us. Okay. But... Well, Target, you can do that on Target also. Uh, you can do digital gift cards and I've, I think Amazon does them too. Oh, well that is a fantastic idea for a teacher. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And Amazon, of course, Amazon. These are all great ideas. So that's fantastic. Um, my thought is um, at least a, a real big source of waste in our school is the class parties that they have. So we have four seasons of parties. We have one at Halloween. We have one during the winter holidays. We have one for Valentine's Day, I believe. And then we have one for the end of the year. And at my school, it seems to be a competition, like which class can do the most wasteful activities <laughs> or something. Um this year, one of my classes did, oh, what did they do? They made slime. Do you know what that is? Yeah, we. that's a big thing that was happening last year, too, around here. Yeah. Yeah, slime. Oh, I had some kids selling it at one point. But anyhow, they made slime in a mason jar. So they bought a mason jar for every single child. They bought enough material so that they could fill that mason jar with what I don't even remember what it was made of water and all kinds of random things like contact solution and stuff. And um, then they bought these little like plastic bats and eyeballs and stuff and glitter to top it off. And they shoved all of that in a mason jar and every kid brought one home. And that was only one of the activities that they did, one of the four activities. So as a teacher or as a parent that's helping out and volunteering in your child's school, um, first of all, thank you for volunteering in your child's school. But <laughs> I'm just kind of being mindful of what kind of activities can we do that aren't harming our planet and um, sustainable, but also fun. I once did this activity with my students last year where we went out and we collected a bunch of like responsibly collected some things from nature. So dried leaves and we went to our kindergarten class and they had shells and random twigs and branches and such. And we created art with those materials. We took a picture 
and then we returned those materials for the next class. So it was it was really about the experience of creating the art rather than taking something home. I mean, they had that picture that they they could email home, sure. but other than that, nothing went home. So just kind of keeping those kinds of things in mind. I and that's interesting too, because I feel like at first people might be like, well, they want to bring stuff. But like, I also know a lot of parents that have been like, how many more macaroni pictures can I put on my fridge? Like, <laughs> like, what do I do with this? <laughs> yeah. We're talking to a staunch minimalist. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, but aspiring minimalist. Sure. Uh, although I love the sentiment behind the art, there's nothing I treasure more than, you know, seeing a piece of art where my daughter says, mommy, I made this for you. And there's a little picture stick figure of you and mommy on top of it. But it also is very frustrating to figure out how to dispose of all those things. There's a lot of mixed media involved, so you can't really recycle it or you can't really compost it. Um, and at the end of the day, we just take a picture of it and get rid of it anyways. So, you know, if you can take that stuff out for me and just send me home a picture. I'm in. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's exactly like they want to show it to you and they want to show off their work and that cannot, that doesn't have to be tangible always. So I think that's a smart. I think teachers think that, you know, we have to send something home. We have to send something home. And it took me being a parent of a child to say, well, maybe we don't need to send something home. I'd rather you send me a picture of my daughter doing the art than the piece of art itself. That's where the memory is for me. That's true. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think there there might be like a special project every now and then that you can take home or whatever. But I think by and large, it, it becomes a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the camp that my daughter's going to, she comes home with something every day. So I understand that they're going to want to say, you know, you're paying money for this. Look at what we're doing. We're enriching your daughter's life. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, she's coming home. How am I going to get rid of the next thing? <laughs> do you guys do a lot of homework assignments at your school? No, we are we're moving away from homework as much as we can uh, for, for a few reasons. One is because um, we think kids need time to be kids. And, and the more homework we give, the less time they have for that. Number two, it kind of uh, increases the inequity between family life. You know, if you have a a nanny and then your mom comes home to help you with homework versus someone who's working three jobs and your older sister's making you dinner kind of thing, um, doesn't it's not quite fair for those families. And then um, the third reason is that, um, you know, if they don't understand it at school, how are they going to understand it at home? So we kind of put more onus on the teacher to kind of, work through those issues. Uh, and we do, yeah, a lot less homework at home. What do you think of there being less homework? Are you as a new mom yourself? Are you into that? Yeah. You know, I think that it makes a lot of sense because I do remember, especially as they got into like middle school and high school, it was my life. Like I would come home and I would just be still trying to study and do homework and do these things. And so I didn't really do much else. And so I actually started not liking school <laughs> because of that also. Oh, I don't yeah. But I don't remember elementary school if it bothered me or not. Oh, that's good. But yeah, I, I totally agree that I think, um, I think that you should teach in the classroom, but I do think that we should still like be reinforcing things a little bit at home, whether that's actual homework or things that we can do activity wise that help. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. I used to provide like a little grid of things that kids could do at home. But then some of the parents would complain like, oh, well, they don't want to do them because they're not mandated. And then another thing is, um, you know, experience is a great teacher as well. Sure. So if I'm always giving you homework, how are you going to go out and watch the baseball game? Or how are you going to go for a walk with your parents? Right. Or how are you going to spend 
them in your garden. So when I think even like, especially when you're little and you're learning how to count or how to add or things like that, like there's real life ways you can do that. You can add rocks. You can like or like go so. to the store and make your child. Right. So maybe sometimes it's your job to kind of make those uh, connections for you because you don't necessarily know what's exactly happening in the classroom or maybe it's harder for you to figure out the real life application. So that that's where the teacher role, I think, should play a strong role. Sure. Well, and I was interested too, because, you know, the whole my dog ate my homework phrase, like homework usually involved a ton of paper and you would lose paper, blah, 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 like things would happen. So I think it's interesting also not moving, like moving away from homework is also a sustainable practice because you're getting rid of all of that paper clutter that is hard to keep track of anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And now we just have to kind of be careful about the inequity between those who have technology and those who don't. But I do, and I I could be very, very wrong here, but I do believe that inequity is um, shrinking in that I think most people have a phone device or some kind of device. I don't know how you live without a smartphone these days anyways. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good practice. I, I like it for a lot of reasons, giving up homework. Plus I don't have to mark it. <laughs> True. <laughs> it gives you some free time back also. So that's good. I want to be a mom when I go home. <laughs> I don't want to be a mother when I go home. <laughs> that's very true. No, that's cool. Well, yeah, that's awesome. And like I said, I think my couple of friends that are teachers, I think they have like one of their schools doesn't do homework and the other one does. So it's kind of weird. Like, yeah, yeah. And I guess if that can be, you know, kind of equalized across the board, that's mm-hmm. helpful. But then the same thing that happens in schools, one teacher will give homework and one teacher won't give homework. So gotcha. Kind of um, figuring out what we want to do across the board. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, cool. I feel like overall, you gave us some really good tips on parent and teacher perspective, which is really nice that you can tote both of those worlds. Um, is there anything else that you feel like we missed from a school perspective that we should let people know about before we kind of wrap up? Um, not necessarily miss, but I, I love having the opportunity to kind of um, stress the message of the fact that we're living in a society that is based on overconsumption mm-hmm. uh, as to make us spend money mostly on things we don't need. Um, and so just kind of Remember, anytime you go out to buy something, just double think, do I really need to buy this? Is there something I have at home that can replace this? Or does my child really need this? We want our children to grow up strong and resilient and buying them the latest sweatshirt or the best backpack or the coolest pair of shoes is not what's going to do that. We want to teach them lessons and to value the money and value the things that they have. So just kind of keeping that message in the back of your mind. Plus your wallet will thank you for that as well. So yeah, yeah. I think the other thing that kind of goes along with that point, and I I don't remember exactly, so I might be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure that it says a recommended amount of things on those lists that we get in America. So it might say like eight pencils, for example. Mm -hmm. But if you buy a better quality pencil in the beginning, you might only need Mm -hmm. two or three. So just because it says this big, robust number of stuff, I think that from a sustainability perspective, you can buy less and just better than so that and that's as a teacher who am I to decide how many of pencils you need it just totally right. depends on if we have eight of something we're less likely to take care of them exactly. if we have two of them, we're going to take care of them so exactly yeah so okay well that's great and um just so you know too I usually put 
I'll put your website and your Instagram in the description so no one has to be frantically oh, trying can. to write it down. So <laughs> so they'll have <laughs> access to you. Um, if someone wanted to reach out and just, you know, pick your brain or ask questions, where where should they do that? Oh, that's, I, first of all, I would love it if anyone did that. The, you can pretty much contact me in three ways. You can email me, my email address, and I'm sure you'll put this in the show notes as well, is thegreenmumcanada at gmail.com. I also have a, a spot on my website where you can contact me and you can always send me a, a direct message on Instagram as well. Okay. I love talking to people about sustainability. I'm not sure if you could tell by the length of what I said and the speed <laughs> of what I said, it, but that's how I feel. So. <laughs> Well, this has been really awesome. And again, I appreciate you jumping on with me and having a fun conversation. Thanks, Brooke. And thank <laughs> you for having me on this podcast. And I can't wait to hear it. <laughs>